I'd like to start this segment with giving a shout out to some of my elementary school teachers from Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. First up, Miss Scornicle. Thank you, Miss Scornicle, for letting all those white kids beat my tail every day on the playground and call me nigger. Because like you said, that's life. I'll get over it. Next up, Miss Bear, who said black people can't learn academics. So I'm going to pass you with a D and let you go next door and learn how to play cards. And with the added bonus, I'll send you to the band room so you can learn how to play an instrument. Well, thank you, Miss Bear. Y'all don't happen to keep tap dancing at this school, do you? That's the fuel that walked out of the Marta Station in 1992 in Atlanta during the riots of Rodney King. That was the fuel that was about Welcome to the Character Matters Podcast, where key issues are put to the litmus test instead of the mainstream media. Let's get it started with your host, Gregory Trent. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. It's not in the nature of the God-begotten to practice and parade sin. Here's how you can tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love his brother or sister. A simple test. That's the message Bible. 1 John 3. 9 through 10. Well, hello and welcome to the Character Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Trent, and we're so glad to be kicking off today's podcast. Uh, today, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, you'll get to know a little bit about him. But as we talk about Character Matters, one of the things that's a very hot topic um, in America, and I would reckon that it was a very hot topic for the time that uh, Christopher Columbus and whomever uh, landed on Plymouth Rock. Uh, from that time on, this has been an issue, and today is no different. Um, I think it's no secret that since the most recent uh, president has graced the White House, it has exacerbated this topic. And even so, with the last president, as this uh, nation who um, has been around for hundreds of years, uh, had a two-term African-American president. Who knew? And so now we uh, have a new president in. It's been in for about two years. And uh, some of the things that have been said has caused this topic to come to the fore. And yes, you guessed it. Yes, it is the topic of race and racism. The black experience in America and especially for those that identify themselves as evangelical Christians. So today I have a, a very special person in my life and, and somebody that is no um, stranger to social media, to the uh, world of the arts, and uh, just many, many, many gifts. And that is none other than Roger Tico Trent out of Columbia, a.k.a. outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hey, thank you. Thank you. Great to be on. Great to be on. Well, I, I know you've been very, very busy, and uh, but you know, having you on um, has is very, very important. I was watching an old video of yours the other day, um, uh, "The Mind of a Rider," um, and you did a multiple series, um, really dealing with the fact of you know what goes on in the side of the mind of a rioter. Um, uh-huh. Can you tell a little bit about what was behind that video before we get into your background? Well, you know, I was, uh, at the time, there was some riots going on in uh, Baltimore, race riots. Uh-huh. And so a lot of people were uh, tweeting, you know, that these kids were young thugs and that, you know, turn up their city and, you know, where are their parents and, you know, all of these different, you know, um, uh, different ideas or catchphrases um, opinions yeah you know about these kids and so i wanted to be able to talk about when i was you know 20 years old and and in the uh, rodney king riot you were a rioter what that was like what's that i said so you were a rioter i was a rioter you know <laughs> at you know 20 years old you know right and i wanted them to understand what actually goes through the mind of a kid that age and uh when they're writing so so and we'll, i want to uh, i'm going to add in a little clip of uh of that a little bit later on and i think it's a, a nice land you have to add because uh, of course you had a little humor with it and i think it's important for us to laugh as we as we deal with some of these very very serious and uh very emotional topics um, tell me a little bit about your background. Evidently, if you're a writer, um, you know, you're African-American male, correct? Correct. Uh, so so you grew up uh, in a home with no father and you had no back, back, you know, it, um, no good upkeep or, or upbringing and what have you. Is that correct? <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't you don't fit the narrative. With... What's that? I said, so you don't fit the narrative. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, grew up with a two-parent home, you know, great family, uh, lived in, you know, uh, the suburbs and, um, you know, had a great family life, you know, right. not what they would think of a young black 20-year-old rioter. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know, when you grew up, two-parent family home, um, and what was what was the spiritual and culture of your upbringing? Uh, we were, um, our you know, our upbringing was a, a Christian upbringing. You know, uh, my father um, and mother were under the ministry of Catherine Coleman. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I guess today, in today's language, you might call that a evangelical. Okay. You know. Um, but, um, but they're two different <laughs> evangelicals, in my opinion, <laughs> then and now. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, it was a very, you know, Christian, very Bible based, um, upbringing is the way I would put it. And as you were growing up, how did race play into your, um, spiritual and cultural environment? Um, uh, you know, I, 
as as a young kid, I I, I had a hard time uh, understanding race, uh-huh. you know, um, or or why people hated me because of my race. Was that way? What, what, um, well, what would know, make you think people hated you because of your race? Say that again. Well, what would make people? What would make you believe that people hated you because of your race? Well, I went to a predominantly white school in uh, the Shona Heights, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed how I was being treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I didn't have many friends. Uh, more like no friends for most, <laughs> most of those years. Um, I was... I was treated as as a thing almost, you know. Um, I remember being in history class and them talking about, you know, the old civil rights days. Well, no, I'm sorry, not civil rights days, but the slavery days. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how the teacher would say, now, you see Roger back there? Now, back in slavery days, he would have been one of your slaves, what? you know. And everybody laughed and, you know, pointed at me and he laughed and chuckled, you know. And, um, and I was, you know, humiliated and right. embarrassed. But that was the norm for me in school. That was that was how, that was like the normal thing. That was every day. Wow. So you got it from teachers. Um, was that the same treatment you got from peers? Was it mimicked by the students? It was. It was. It was definitely mimicked. You know, I remember being on the bus. You know what I mean? And um, you know, and you know, I would get into an argument with the kid. You know what I mean? You know, for what he said to me or pushing me. You know, and then the kids would all say, you know, fight, fight, a nigger and a white. If the white don't win, then we all jump in. You know, they were using the N word. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I thought that was my middle name. <laughs> so much. <laughs> you know I mean? I'm like, mom, you. Why do you keep calling me Tico? I thought my name was. <laughs> it was like all the time. Oh jeez. And, and and what grades are we talking about here? Where where this kind of you know harassment is going on? Third, fourth, fifth grade, starting around there. And these kids were already racially uh, imbalanced, should I say, as far oh, as their perception oh, of the race. For, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. You know, so let me ask you a question. You may take me a minute to think about this. But what do you think is the most racist experience you ever had growing up? Man, um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, because, quite a catalog. You know, they're all pretty much up there. Huh? That's a big catalog. <laughs> right, right. I got a full catalog full, you know. But I guess the one that, um, that bothers me most, I would say, was, um, fourth grade, um, where the teacher told me that uh, blacks can't learn. Um, you know, we weren't good with academics and we couldn't learn math and, you know, so she pretty much, 
you know, told me that I didn't have to go to class, and she would just pass me with a D, and said that you need to have skills like gambling and playing cards and playing instruments. That's what blacks do. And so she would, um, when the other class was in their learning, she would take me and teach me how to play cards. And, um, you know, and then other classes that we were learning, she would send me down to the band room to learn how to play an instrument. And so then, as a kid, I thought, oh, wow, I get to get out of work, you know. But as I began to get older, you know, and began to really think about what she said, it was like, wow. And not only that, but it played on my psyche. Right. Because from grade to grade, I was like, well, we can't learn. I can't learn. That stayed in my head, you know, that I cannot learn. I'm sorry. So I would say that was, you know, definitely, if not the most racist, but, the, you know, it affected me, I'd say, the yeah. most. I'm sorry. I'm beginning to perspire here. Um, just, wow. <laughs> wow. That, yeah. that is, that, yeah. wow. Okay. I'm trying to go to the next point, and that's just staggering me. So, I, I guess that must have happened, what, in the 1930s and the 1940s, right? <laughs> Something like that. That's where one would think, you know, he must be a little older than what he sounds. That, that, that was the 80s. The 80s? That was the 80s. In the North. Yes. <laughs> in the North. And I'm going to tell you what. In the Chona Heights, Pennsylvania, those teachers there were so racist and they terrorized me so much that I mean it stayed with me now in my voice that is that's just you know that's mind boggling and these things I, I don't know that other races understand the effect of you know these racial interactions or racist interactions yes. it, the lasting mm -hmm. impacts that they have on you um, yeah, I remember being told by a boss that I had, um, that I was, because I was black, I wasn't meant to do professional work that I should be flipping burgers at Burger King or something. Not that that's bad employment for those folks, but this is exactly what he said. And wow. I remember wow. 20, 30, no, 30 something years later, you know what? I'm doing well for myself. I remember looking up his phone number so that I could call him and just inform him how wrong he was. Yeah. And when I yeah. did, I found out he had been dead for 20 years. Wow. And I said, wow, this thing has been hiding way back. And it wasn't something I thought about every day, but right, way, right. way back in the psyche, you know, I, I, I was like, you wow. got to be kidding me. And he had been dead for 20 years. And so wow. that's a whole nother subject. And I, I took note of when you said this affects me most. It's, it's a present thing. What do you, why do yes. you think that these racist, racist, racial in action, interactions linger so long? Well, you know, kids are impressionable. Right. You know, 
And so, I mean, of course, when you're a child, that's when you're learning. That's when you're, you know, developing, and you know, and all of that. And those those years are are you know crucial years. Right. So when you have adults that you're told to respect, you know, and you're taught to to respect and say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and you know, and, and they're the teacher and they're the authority and you know, you believe these people and you trust these people and you and you, you give them everything, you know. Right. So when you do that and they harm you, you know, they they terrorize you and um that plays on your mind, you know, that's that's something that, that sticks in your head forever, you know what I mean? That's that's something that um you know, only God can <laughs> right. can truly, you know, can can take away or heal. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And um, you know, it, it's 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 a lasting effect. You know, you when you're when you're doing that to kids, man, that's you know, it's, it's pretty tough. You know, you, you know, it, it's interesting because when I was in high school, I I had the same type of thing happen where they told me to change my um, high school path because. I needed to be realistic and I should be working with my hands, et cetera. And there was, you know, I, I actually began to underperform because I didn't wow. have the motivation to perform. Um, wow. So these things really impact, impact us. I, I too believe that because often these aren't isolated incidents that each issue like this begins to weave against the other they're they're knitted together and they make this tapestry this ugly tapestry um that we carry through mm -hmm. us you know in our paradigm for the rest yeah. of our lives yes that's good that's good so so and i you so so you're in in in, in the children heights pennsylvania in the north um, you deal with this. Eventually, you move to the south some years later. Um, was it better there? Uh, it it was. Um, you know, it was different. It was it was a hard transition. Uh huh. Uh, because when I first got to Atlanta, well, could we um, could we start with Louisiana? You know, everybody, huh? Can we start with Louisiana? Because you went to Louisiana first, right? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana was was different, uh, but yet the same. Uh huh. So you know, I remember going to class and being in class, you know, and my um my teacher telling us that it would have been a lot better for the economy if the blacks would have stayed slaves. You know, and it was it was horrible for. You know that the uh, that the North won the war, the Civil War, and you know if the South would have won, it would have been a, a much better place. You know, we would be in a much better place in America, and and all of this stuff. And I remember sitting there, and the class was a good fifty-fifty as far as race is concerned. Right. And I remember everybody nodding their head and taking notes. You know, wow. as if he said nothing un, you know, right. unordinary. Right. You're kind of looking around saying, does nobody huh? else hear what he's saying? Nobody else hears this? You know? You, right, right. <laughs> nobody else hears this? Right. And so, you know, between, you know, the, the Natron Heights, Pennsylvania experience, you know what I mean, in Louisiana, you know, I, I had a chance to go to 
you know, Atlanta and Ohio and, you know, stuff like that. So I had a little bit of, um, little chance to get around some <laughs> African Americans and learn a little bit of history and stuff like that. Right. And it gave me a little bit more confidence as well. Right. You know, so I raised my hand and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he was like, excuse me, do you have something to say, Mr. Trent? I said, well, I can't believe you're bold enough to stand up in this class and spew out that ridiculous hate. Are you kidding me? And so he ended up getting upset, you know what I mean? And I, I debated him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he got upset and sent me to the principal's office. Wow. And said he wanted me to be in school suspension, you know. Right. And the, well, the, cl- the class, of course, got all riled up, and they were like, huh, that's right, that's right. You know, right. They started like, you know, jumping on my side. Were, were, there, well, um, Caucasian, were there Caucasian students that were jumping on your side as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. They were like, <laughs> they were like, wow, we never thought about it like that. You right, know? They began right. To, you know, jump on as well. And, and so they sent me to school suspension and I got to the principal's office, you know, and he asked me how I was there and I told him what the teacher said. I was like, could you believe he said that? You know, and he dropped his head and he shook his head and I'm thinking, okay, he understands me. Right. And he looked up to me and he said, where are you from? I said, Ohio. He said, Ohio. He said, every now and then we get a Yankee that feels like they can come down south and change the way things are. Wow. Let me tell you something, boy. You may not like the way we run things in the south. You might want to fight the Klan and everybody else, but the Klan is who pays for your education. If I was you, I'd shut my mouth and sit in my seat. And that was like my introduction to Louisiana. And what school was that one? Uh, it was called Lee High School. And that was which kind of spawned the whole, the whole debate. Uh-huh. You know, I said, it's bad enough that we go to a school named after a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Robert E. Lee, huh? That, Robert, right, right. Robert E. Lee, you know, the, we were called the Lehigh Rebels. And I, I, oh my God, I said he rebelled against his own country. Right. I mean, I went, <laughs> you know, that was really starting the whole thing, you know what I wow. mean? And, um, you know, once the principal said that, man, oh. That was that was kind of my introduction. Like, wow, and you know, and that was like, well, what's a Yankee? Right. <laughs> I'm like the baseball team, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I, I remember and, being. You know, up, go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. I was gonna say up north. You know, we didn't call each other. You know, Yankees and rebels. Right. You came here from the south. You're a rebel. <laughs> we never said that. Right. <laughs> it, it, you know, moving you from know. the north to the south is an education. And I remember being in the south and them looking at me at work and calling me a Yankee as if it was mm-hmm. an insult to me, you know? And I was like, well, right. <laughs> it, it appears the only alternative is to be a rebel. I don't want to be right. one of those, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> So, so you're going through these experiences, and I want to pivot a little bit. 
um, and, and it, as I knew it would be, uh, I hope you will allow this to be a, a two part thing because we're not going to have enough time to unpack everything. And yes, I, yes. I wanted, I wanted to pivot a little bit and, uh, for part one. And I wanted to take a few more, more minutes and talk about the mind of a rioter. And so, and I know you had spent some time in Atlanta before going to Louisiana, but if you will, if you could take us to your Atlanta experience, what you learned, and then, then pivot that into the person that was the rioter. And, and this is, you know, important because this is a, a black evangelical, um, Christian going through his, you know, uh, coming of age experience and how race played into all of this. So if you can take us down that journey, if you will. Sure. Well, at, you know, Atlanta, when we first moved to Atlanta, it was a, a new experience because you know, growing up in um, the Heights, Pennsylvania, you know, we were, you know, pretty much, you know, all the um, <laughs> blacks that we've seen. Now, don't get us wrong, we, you know, had a strong church family that, you know, they were they were black and, um, you know, thriving, uh, thriving Christians and everything like that. But once I got down south, it was wild to see the African Americans in Mercedes and BMWs, and they weren't dope dealers. They weren't, you know, right. these people were doctors, and you know, and, and I had black teachers, and right. it was just like amazing to me, you know. So, so you're so seeing blacks is, outside of the stereotypical, because you know where you grew up, you, you saw you know the mill workers and what have you, blue collar workers, right? Uh, but right. it seems to be another level of, of wealth and, you know, a more well-rounded view. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, a, it was another level of wealth, a level that I didn't know that black people would could be on. Right. You know, I mean, we, you know, the church we went to, we would go to, you know, people's houses. And now it's like, oh, my Lord. Gotcha. <laughs> people live like this? Yes. You know, but so Atlanta was a new experience. And then when I got to school, you know, they were like, okay, so you're going to be in room 101 for black history. I'm like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> black, black history. I'm like, like, how much can you teach about Martin Luther King? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're going to do an entire year on Martin Luther King? Because that's all I learned in white school. <laughs> oh, gracious. Yes. <laughs> you know. How many dreams oh. did he have? <laughs> right, right. How many dreams did he have? <laughs> so, when they started teaching about you know, Marcus Garvey and, you know, all the different, you know, inventors and, oh my gosh, Man. I was so into it. I was blown away. I yes. just kept raising my hand like, wait, he was black? They're like, you're in black history. Well, that was an exciting time and interview with Roger Trent, but we're not done. We'll come back next week and continue this riveting insight into the mind of someone who grew up in America as a black American and then experienced the rage that resulted from years of racial oppression, bullying, 
and mistreatment even at the hands of the teachers. These formative years actually culminated when Roger became a part of a race riot that would go around the world and forever change the landscape of the United States of America. Our endeavor here is really to get inside of the mind of those who are experiencing life as we may see it play out in the media or in social media. These are simply the organic feelings inside the mind of a rioter. Well, we know that the Bible gives us scriptural principle upon which we build our lives and we are to govern our lives. These organic experiences are simply to show what people experience on the inside. After experiencing this, we are challenged to put our lives in perspective and alignment with the Word of God. Now, one thing to keep in mind, we're hearing one side of the story. But from this one side of the story, whether you're one who may have been on the side of a perpetrator or you're a victim, we'll find one thing consistent in Scripture, that as we align our lives with the principles of Christ, we'll learn how to treat our brother with the love and respect that God intended. God bless you, and remember to come back to Character Matters. That's this week's episode of the Character Matters Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode with your host, Gregory Trent. Thank you for listening. <laughs>